0: Welcome to Off Kilter, a podcast about the fight for economic liberation and what it will take to set us all free. Powered by the Century Foundation. I'm Rebecca Vallis, and I'm a former legal aid lawyer turned policy advocate who works with public policy and law, as well as organizing, coalition building, and narrative as tools for building a more just society, one premised on collective consciousness of our common humanity and the inherent dignity and rights that come with being human. And every week, I talk with visionary leaders working to reinvigorate our shared imagination and disrupt the off-kilter imbalance of power in the U.S. to build a society where everyone can thrive and experience the shared abundance we all deserve. And to continue the series of conversations we've been having on Off-Kilter about the limiting beliefs we as a collective must release and replace to pave the way for collective economic liberation, I sat down with Cheryl Green and Thomas Reed, two disabled podcasters who are leading a very cool new project called the Pod Access Initiative, in partnership with the Disability Visibility Project, founded by Alice Wong. We talk about why it's so important to diversify the voices out there in media as hosts and guests of podcasts and content creators of all kinds, and how the Pod Access Initiative is working to remove barriers to entry for people people with disabilities in media while taking on limiting beliefs around whose voices quote deserve to be driving the conversation when it comes to podcasts and much more. You can find lots more about the pod access initiative and the disability visibility project and subscribe to Cheryl's and Thomas's own podcasts in show notes. Let's take a listen. Cheryl, Thomas, it is so great to be back in conversation with both of you. And thank you for taking the time to come on Off Kilter.
1: Thank you for inviting us.
0: Yes, thank you so much. And I have to say, before we get into this, Cheryl, I'm going to out you because you are very much part of the Off-Kilter fam, but this is your first time actually being on the other side of the mic. You are our heroic, incredible transcriber. You, you help us week to week keep the show accessible. Um, I've been incredibly grateful to you uh, and uh, for your contributions for years and years and years of being part of the Off-Kilter fam. Um, but I feel like we're kind of bringing it full circle by bringing you onto the other side of the mic where you where you very squarely belong as a, a podcaster yourself. So welcome onto the show as a longtime member of the Off Kilter fam, Cheryl.
2: Well thank you. And I've been wanting to say for a while, a longtime listener, first-time caller. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so thank you so much. Thomas I got to I got to meet you a little bit through through Cheryl and it was actually through the pod access initiative that, that I got to um, connect with you both so I'm really excited to be in conversation with both of you but before we get into um, sort of the the meat and potatoes the tofu the seitan of the of the of the conversation today I'm going to give you both a chance as I ordinarily do in kicking off these episodes to talk a little bit about how you each come to this work and to podcasting you're both podcasters yourselves um, and in particular, how you both got involved with the Disability Visibility Project. And so, um, Cheryl, I don't know if you want to go first.
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, Well, I I come to this kind of from two directions at once, which you already mentioned behind the mic and in front of the mic. So I am a content creator. I have a podcast. I've made some documentary films. And I'm an access artist. So I focus on captions, transcripts, and audio description, primarily and these days I do much more of the access art for other people as opposed to creating my own art. And I started my own podcast years ago, like at least a decade ago. And it was very much this not at all edited, long form interview, streaming radio show about brain injury arts and culture. I made it on a whim. You could tell from the quality of the show that I'd made it on a whim. And over the years, it's really transformed. Um, It's a new show now. It's called Pigeonhole. And I feature only disabled people. Sometimes it's interviews. Um, Usually it's very short, very weird stories. It's cross-disability. I don't focus just on brain injury community anymore. And um, my connection to the Disability Visibility Project, I, I... I fought myself long and hard to try to remember how I got connected, and I just have no memory of it. Um, <clears throat> but at some point, I became one of the three producers of Alice Wong's Disability Visibility podcast, and I edited and produced over 30 of the episodes. I transcribed 99 of the 100 episodes, and, um, and I made a deluxe episode guide when the show wrapped. So that's my relationship to this content and
0: to Disability Visibility Project. And I'm going to stay with you there for a moment, Cheryl, and then and then Thomas will bring you in to connect some of these dots. But just since you're talking a little bit about the Disability Visibility Project, Cheryl, um, I'm I'm honored to count Alice Wong a friend, and I've had her on um, the the podcast before, uh, although not in in far too long. But for folks who aren't familiar, what is the Disability Visibility Project?
2: Well, Alice started it in 2015. And it was originally supposed to be just a partnership with StoryCorps to collect deaf and disabled history and culture. And she thought of it in honor of the 25th anniversary of the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act. And it didn't stop. It's just grown and grown. It's an online community dedicated to creating, sharing, and amplifying disability media and culture. And this is done through podcasting, publishing essays, which she pays her essayists, uh, Twitter chats. She hosts events. There's just this huge range of media activities and cultural stuff that's really about amplifying cross-disability culture, bringing up the history, the narrative, and definitely giving a lot of space to LGBTQ and BIPOC disabled people. Um, it's just a really exciting project. And I love that it, um, that it lasted beyond just the original StoryCorps. And you can find um, those the stuff tagged with Disability Visibility Project um, in the Library of Congress and at StoryCorps in general. Uh, The podcast, when did the podcast start? Somewhere in there. And it went for 100 episodes.
0: And folks can find more about the Disability Visibility Project in show notes. We'll have a bunch of links to all the content that we're talking about here. But, but Thomas, um, I'm gonna bring you in here and, and, and ask you the same question. Talk a little bit about how you come to this work and then that takes us around to the story behind the pod access initiative, which we're gonna be getting into and diving into today.
1: Yeah, so for me, um, I think blindness, access technology and podcasting, All sort of came into my life at around the same time so in 2004 all of these things were were new to me Um, podcasting was pretty new at that time so uh, yeah I I lost my sight in basically 2004 and prior to me getting back excuse me onto a computer um, so learning how to use a screen reader I used a little handheld recorder to sort of take notes and remember appointments and and other things that I needed to remember that I would have in the past wrote down um so just playing with the recorder sort of took me back to my days of a being a bedroom d j <laughs> <laughs> and and you know playing with uh with audio and meanwhile, I was. When I finally did get back on the computer that same year, um, I started consuming podcasts. And I knew I wanted to create a podcast, but, you know, I wasn't really sure about what the topic was that I wanted to cover. Um, And I, I wasn't really, I wasn't the type of person to give myself permission to sort of make something, if you know what I mean by that. Like, I think there's this thing where a lot of folks feel the need to... You know, growing up, it was like, oh, wh- why are you doing that? It, I didn't have hobbies. It was like, oh, oh, um, why are you playing sports? Okay, you, you should play sports. Why are you doing this? Are you going to work? Is that your job? Are you going to make money from that? It was never like, oh, I just want to do something just to do it. You know what I mean? And um, so, you know, I, I figured out how to incorporate audio in some of the work that I was doing in, in advocacy, in, in the Blindness Advocacy Organization. And eventually, I had an opportunity to make some original content, which ended up, I put it on, I put that stuff that I was making for, um, it was a radio reading service called Gateway out of New York City. And um, making this content for, it was actually for the blind community um, using radio reading services. It sort of gave me, gave me more confidence because the folks who volunteered for that organization worked for places like cbs radio television abc and and the fact that they liked what i was producing was you know really cool and and that kind of helped me keep going and later i started sharing that on my blog and i called it read my mind radio because i was not that creative because the (laughs) blog's name was read my mind (laughs) after r-e-i-d like my last name um And so, yeah, that's sort of how I started, started podcasting, which was in toward the end of 2014. So it was really first just sort of sharing this, this content that I was creating for the radio reading service. And then it, it later sort of uh, just became my own thing. And, and, you know, and I really developed it into where I was going and targeting my, uh, the community that I wanted to target. Um, And so um, it was i mean maybe a couple of years after that that I, I i met alice and it's funny because you know i think i met alice first on twitter and um when i was first able to get access to twitter because it was not accessible in the beginning to a screen reader mm-hmm. but um yeah and so so i ended up wanting to reach out to her to have her on my podcast but she got to me first and, <laughs> and so it was kind of cool so um she she contacted me about being on her podcast and then I was like, "Okay, well, will you be on my podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> and I, it ended up that my episode with her came out first because she she was way more advanced in producing and scheduling and and all that type of thing that than I was. I was just sort of winging it week by week or every two weeks type of thing. Um, but yeah, and so so we ended up meeting each other through the through the podcast and the Twitter sphere and and all of that. And um, yeah, and. I mean, things worked out and there we are here we are today and I met Cheryl and the rest is history
0: Well, so so pick up pick up the ball though with that history how did that become the pod access initiative which you guys are now are leading and moving forward today
1: yeah so I think I think it kind of corresponds to Alice's understanding and appreciation of of podcasting right so her ability to and her willingness to amplify disabled voices is sort of like, I think of it as the root of, of what we're doing. So <clears throat> we know that podcasting and content creation in general is just a way that disabled folks, deaf and disabled folks can really share, you know, not only our stories, our perspectives and, and stories and all of that, but also, you know, our creativity, right? um and and so many other things so many other things so you know we figured out that cheryl and i were were invited to kind of you know lead this and and take it on and um we figured out that what we needed to know is what what prevents folks from starting a podcast um we need to know the barriers right before we can kind of figure out how to help them get around them get over them and all that so we um we surveyed what I'm going to say were potential former and current podcasters, right? Because they all have something to contribute to, to this, um, you know, to what we need to know. Um, and so the part of that survey was also to the audiences, right? Because part of what we want to do is connect content creators to their audiences as, as well. Those who are interested in content made by disabled uh, creators, so that that was sort of the first thing that that we covered with pod access. That was sort of the first part of it. Um, one of the resources that we're creating, of course, since this is about podcasting, it has to be a podcast, right? You have to have a podcast <laughs> about podcast about podcast. <laughs> so so we're in the process right now of of creating that to sort of answer. Some of the the questions uh, deal with some of the issues around people starting and continuing a podcast. And so, what better way than to get the voices of folks who who have experience with that, wherever it is. If it's just you know, if they're just starting, we're talking to some of those. If it's if it's folks who have been, you know, doing this pod, doing their podcast for quite some time, we're talking to them too. Um, and then eventually, um, all of these things are going to live in a, on a website, a portal, if you will, where we all that is going to be the place where folks can kind of connect with one another and so that that means content creators themselves can connect with one another to to do what to share skills um so consider like you know there are people who are podcasting who may be good at audio editing uh but someone like myself you know i'm not that good at graphics who would have thought right? <laughs> so you know maybe i can link up with someone who would create graphics for me and maybe i can do some editing for them so those are some of the some of the things that we want to do with that um maybe some cross promotional things where you know you can share your promo about your podcast online because you know podcasting podcasting really isn't as competitive a thing i mean there's space and room for everyone here um it really depends on you know the audience the audience is going to find you and that's the second part of that. That website is going to be a, a place for the audiences to find the content that they want to consume and, and hopefully support in whatever ways those are. So, you know, that's, that's just the basis of what that portal would be, that website. And, and we think there's a lot more that we're going to be able to do um, and services to provide the community and, and, um, and vice versa and to the audience as well. So... It's it's a it's a cool project, and we think it has a lot of space to grow.
0: And the project is really just getting started, so Absolutely. that's part of what's exciting to be having this conversation at this moment in time. Cheryl, um, Thomas just mentioned that you guys did a survey, and you you mm-hmm. surveyed deaf and disabled. Podcasters and and asked what are the barriers to podcasting and to to um, to to really creating content more broadly? Um, what did you learn from that survey? What are the what are the main barriers that folks are facing? And we'll get a little bit more into then um, the the community and and the portal that you guys are building around this and some of the theory <laughs> of change. But when you ask that question, what is it that folks said are the barriers to entry? I mean, they
2: are super not surprising barriers. And they're the same barriers that Thomas and Alice and I and many other people probably heard when aspiring podcasters would reach out. I heard you make a podcast. Can you help me start mine? Um, Because people don't know where to go to get the information. And more importantly, where to get accessible information. So this is information that is accessible for people to digest, but also information about how to make their stuff accessible. That's, I I haven't found that out there. Like the tutorials that I send people to about how to start a podcast don't have captions. The the guy's a fast talker. And, you know, there's, um, it's video based and there's no description of what's on screen. So you might say, you know, just click here, but there's no description of what here is. So Um, those were things that were standing out to us and and in our personal experience and the survey bore that out. uh, Big ones that people responded were about wanting to know how to make shows accessible to a broader audience. So what are the things that make something accessible and then how do you do those things? Like transcripts, like image descriptions of graphics. Um, A lot of people talked about not having enough funding or enough time to work on the show Questions about how do you go about building an audience? I need more collaborators to do my show. That is me talking, but also a lot of people said that. Um, And needing to find accessible tools and technology to make the shows. There were other barriers people mentioned, but those really stand out to me. And for this show, Rebecca, I would like to elaborate just a little bit on the funding question because, I mean, anybody, anybody who is not... Uh, making their podcast on the clock for some agency or department that they work for is going to have funding questions. So we know that. Um, And with the independent podcasts or, well, all kinds of podcasts, you know, advertisements and sponsorships are great ways to fund a podcast. You know, um, I have learned about so many brands of mattresses and bras and food delivery services by listening to podcasts. And I know that that is how those shows are paying some of their bills by telling me about those mattresses and that food. The problem is, for anyone who doesn't have a podcast, you have to first have an audience to attract funders. And uh, without the funding to build your show and grow your audience, then you don't have the audience to attract the funders that would help you build your audience. Again, it's true for anybody, but when you kind of drill down in the disability community, there is another obstacle. Not everyone, but some people in the disability community are on supplemental security income, SSI, which your audience is well familiar with. Some people are on social security disability insurance benefits. And for people who are receiving those, either one of those benefits, they may not have the luxury of bringing in a couple hundred dollars per episode or even per month. Because if they bring that in and they have an, a, a, a cap on their income or their assets, or both, and they bring in those sponsorship dollars, that threatens their ability to have health care and uh, be able to pay for AIDS. And so if you can't seek funding to grow your show because of these caps and limits, which would be nice if those were removed, um, then you can't seek funding for your show. And then how do you get past that barrier? So the, the, the problem then is that either you don't make your show or your show is tiny and it's not reaching the potential that you know that it could. Meanwhile, The potential audience out there thinks that you don't have a show because you have nothing to say or that you don't have the skills to make a show, when in reality, it's this vicious cycle of not being able to gather and use the resources to make your show. So that's a big one that stood out to me in looking at the survey results.
0: Well, and and Cheryl, that's a great segue into really, I think, where the the heart of the conversation that we really all three of us wanted to have today. I'm going to disclose that um, the three of us actually got the idea for doing this off kilter episode when I was talking with the both of you as part of the interview series that you've been leading for the pod access uh, initiative. I'm a person with a podcast who identifies as a member of the disability community, lovingly Yay. known as the, the disco. And um, and we all got into conversation about a whole bunch of stuff, maybe some stuff that you expected, maybe some stuff that none of us expected. And wow. I, we actually all wanted to bring in some of those themes. But before we start to get into some of the, the tools and the resources and and some of the ways that that you all are are supporting um, and preparing to support deaf and disabled podcasters through this initiative, I want to connect this conversation explicitly to the series of conversations that we've been having on Off-Kilter around some of the most toxic, some of the most problematic limiting beliefs that we as a collective may not be aware of, may not be conscious of, but which, frankly, we need to be doing the work of making visible so that we can release and replace them in service of collective liberation. And I want to, I I gave you guys a heads up that that was part of what we were going to talk about. And so um, I want to turn it to the two of you to ask where you want to start with this piece of, 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 of the conversation. Is there a particular Limiting belief that the pod access initiative is is working to call out and to replace. I I might guess that it might be something along the lines of only certain people's voices are worth worth having out there as podcast hosts, or maybe at a more fractal individual level that hey, no one cares what I have to say, so why should I put my voice out there? But I want to turn that back to both of you to to ask what what is what is the limiting belief that this project is is seeking to take on? And, and Thomas, I don't. Know if you
1: want to take that first. So I think this, this question for me sort of made me think really about my own experience with, with blindness and, and questions that, well, a question that I know I've asked of myself and, and of others, and I've heard other people ask it too. And it's a, it's a simple question. Um, it's, it's what can I do? And I think the subtext of that is sort of like now that I'm blind, that was my, my question that I asked of myself and for other people, you know, um, fill in the disability, whatever, whatever it is, or as a blind person, whatever, right? Um, again, I was sort of asking that question of myself and I ended up asking that question to folks in the vocational rehabilitation space, right? Um, but thinking about it now, I think it's a question that really takes away our power. And and I, I have an alternative question that I've come across and was like, you know what, this is a better question that I should have asked myself and I, and I, and I hope to ask myself occasionally, right? Which is, what do I want to do? And then sort of figure out with the help of the community, which I think is a really big deal, on how I can get that done. And, th- and that's, you know, I think that's sort of where podcasts access is is trying to bring in that community to say okay this is how you can do whatever it is that you're trying to do um it's that whole thing about possibly we need permission we need someone's permission to do something where i don't i don't think we need permission at at some point all you need is really just access access to the tools that make it possible you know um and that, that right there should be enough because this there's, there's so you know, for me podcasting has been such a such a learning experience and I just wanna see that for everyone. I mean, it's about yes, putting your story out, putting your you know, getting your creativity, um, so many things that that there really shouldn't be that block. Cheryl, where do you wanna pick that up?
2: Well, I wanna pick that up with just reflect reflecting back to Thomas because I Oh, I just love listening to Thomas talk about the origin story of his work and and where his work goes. And just listening to you talk just then um, about what can I do, you know, your show, like mine and probably like many people's, like yours, Rebecca, changed. It started in one way and then you homed in on something or you got a new perspective or got a new direction for the show and you grew with it. And I think... There's this idea that, um, I don't have my idea fully formed, and so I will just sit here at the starting line forever. <laughs> and Thomas, you're such a beautiful model for, well, get out there and start making the thing that you can make right now and grow it as you go.
0: I anyway, love that. I love that, that so much.
2: <laughs> that was just, that. that's just one of my hobbies is to... Um, <laughs> to thank Thomas for all the stuff that you say (laughs) and to tell people to go to (laughs) (laughs) readmymindradio.com this is the best podcast Um, but uh, so limiting toxic belief I in listening to your show every week Rebecca I each guest brings a new one and I go oh yeah that's the one and then your next guest says oh I'm like oh no that's the one (laughs) and I love this question so much I narrowed it down to about a thousand and (laughs) You wanted one, so here are the top 15. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) So I'm I'm thinking a lot about Alice Wong right now. And um, she has a statement uh, that you can find in writing, audio, that really stands out to me. Um, In addition to talking about eating cupcakes or anything you want, she often says, believe disabled people and she has to say it a lot and that tells you something because if you have to keep repeating this refrain there's a toxic limiting belief behind it that she is trying to address um and this i think about this with the pod access initiative because you know um I, i'm going to be i'm going to kind of make generalizations here but they're not random or hyperbolic when a lot of disabled people produce something then it's questioned whether they really did it. Did they really do that? Did they really think of that? That's a common one. Um, a lot of people offer us help without asking if we want it or need it. They just perceive us as, as people who are constantly in need of help. If we say we don't want it, then they express anger at us, um, which is very weird. <laughs> um, and on the flip side, if we do ask for help, we're told, no, you can do it yourself. And I've been told I just need to have more self-confidence and positivity. Like, I had to stop driving 12 years ago because my visual processing is really screwed up from a brain injury. I was literally told by somebody that I just need to get more confidence. I'm like, hey, if you want to make my peripheral vision actually work uh, through building self-confidence, you know, (laughs) show me your research study. That sounds like fun. Um, it's, it's just like microaggression after microaggression, you know, if we're, if we say we're in pain, but we get stuff done, like produce one podcast a month, then we're told, oh, the pain couldn't possibly be that bad. Um, it's not real cause you look fine. And I want to, um, take us back to episode number 43 of Alice's podcast, the Disability Visibility Podcast, um, Her guest was the now law professor Durand Dorfman, and he talked about his research on myths around deservingness and around scarcity and how those myths play a role in why so many people have this knee-jerk response to think that disabled people are faking their situations, faking their disability, or faking the needs that they're expressing for access. And... um, I just find that one a really powerful one. I I cried editing. Did I? I can't remember if I edited that one, but I transcribed it. I cried through that one, and I didn't cry through all of Alice's podcasts, but um, the research, it's just really powerful, and I hope people will check out the audio and or the transcripts of episode 34, and I could go on, but um, I'll just wrap up again with that refrain, believe disabled people.
0: I I love that so much as, as the place for this conversation to go next. And um, I I also just will give Alice a plug as someone that everyone should be following on Twitter, which is often where that refrain comes through and and often in response to um, problematic news narratives or um, uh, other elements of public discourse that really are, are just fraught with ableism and yet are, are what we have come to normalize in so many different spaces. So um, Alice Wong, yeah, you can find her, all of her Twitter handles in our, our show notes but she's at SF direwolf um, and also at dis visibility um, on Twitter um, uh, so so Cheryl picking up with that with that theme um, some of some of what, you and Thomas and I got into talking about in the course of the conversation we had recording for the pod access initiative really, really, I think um, pulls on a lot of the different threads that you were just offering up, right? So um, underpinning believe disabled people is of course a, a limiting belief that disabled people are not trustworthy or are can't be believed or couldn't possibly be doing the things that that, that disabled people are, are capable of doing I appreciated so much that you also brought in so explicitly the supplemental security income program which um, we we just marked recently the 50th anniversary of which is also the 50th anniversary of Congress pretty much forgetting about the program which is how <laughs> we ended up with the um, inhumane and and um, uh, incredibly constraining modern day eligibility criteria that are still 1972 eligibility criteria that um, I've started to talk about openly as a, a form of mass institutionalization without walls, which is the reality for so many people with disabilities and also older adults in this country. I love you bringing that element of this in as well, because until people with disabilities are the ones curating the conversations, right? That That's how we end up in a reality where a program as critical as say supplemental security income can actually be forgotten by the very serious people in Washington for mm. as long as it has been, right? And so zooming out just a little bit, and then this will take us into some of the themes that we were talking about around the pod access initiative recording a few weeks ago, um, there, there is a larger theory of change here that this project is connected to, that is part of the Disability Visibility Project's theory of change, but which is, is also a few levels up a, a broader disability movement-led push to center the voices and the perspectives of disabled people in media and in public discourse in a way that, that we've made strides towards and that Alice Wong has been a huge leader in, um, pushing us towards, Rebecca Coakley has been a huge leader in resourcing a lot of these initiatives and, and since moving over to the Ford Foundation, just to give two shout outs to two of the people who are doing a lot of this work, both visibly and also behind the scenes. But I, I want to put it back to you and maybe Thomas, this is where you want to come back in um, to talk about one of the things that we were all in conversation around before and that I, I want to pour into this episode as well, which is around why it's so important for disabled people to be content creators and to, to to why it matters to be identifying and removing some of the barriers to say disabled people becoming podcasters. Um, and, and that connects to this larger conversation we're having about how conversations go when you don't have disabled people in the driver's seat and instead folks are just being talked about, which is what really allows for the reinforcement of the the myths and the limiting beliefs that Cheryl was just getting into. So Thomas, where where do you wanna take us in terms of why it's, so important to have disabled voices out there as leaders and driving forces in media, as hosts, as guests, as content creators of all kinds that that feels like kind of the big picture question here for the why behind this initiative you two are leading.
1: yeah, I think um in a way i was I was going there, and Cheryl kind of touched on it too um when she she was so kind to me <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean because podcasting has been a part of my, my own personal growth and my, my adjustment process, adjusting to becoming blind. Um, it, it's, it's been like the vehicle, right, that to help me sort of travel along this, this disability journey. And I hope that's not corny, but, I mean, I don't know a better way to say that. Um, <clears throat> but, not but. The, the podcast, really looking back at it, it sort of actually reflects everything that I've been experiencing over over the years that I've been creating it. Right. So it's not just about the people that I interview. It's it's about the topics. It's about the questions. It's about, you know, my approach to it. Um, it's about the wording, some of the words that I've used, the language, um, you know, vision loss versus actually saying blind. In the beginning, I would just say vision loss that had to do with with many things. But one of them is just my my own comfort level. Right. Um, you know, I, I didn't think about blindness as a disability and that seems very silly to me, but it was like, oh, blindness is one thing. Disability is another. I don't feel that way. I know, I know better now. Um, but that's been like my process over these years. And the podcast, like I said, has been so, so helpful, you know, to that. Um, I, I used to think that, oh Doing this podcast, if I do it around on the topic specific to blindness, um, it's going to put me in in a box. And, and I don't want to be put in a box like that was my whole thing. And today I'm like, I don't think I'm in a box, um, but I know that I want to focus on disability. I say it. I say it in everything I do, because I understand that disability isn't just a, a topic that's over here in the corner. You know, disability is is everything. Every, Every topic is a disability topic. And the fact that I can talk about it, the fact that I can produce an episode and come from a disability perspective is something that not everyone can do. And I think something that adds value. And so if it's a political show, if it's a show about sports or entertainment, why not come and come from that disability perspective. It doesn't mean that it has to only be that way if that's not what you want, but why not take your life experience and be able to, to kind of to talk about that? And I think that's, that's part of why we want to see more disabled folks talking about whatever it is that they want to talk about. We're not saying, hey, you have to talk about X, Y, and Z. You have to do this. No, wherever you are along your journey, that's value. And, and I think Cheryl and I and Alice, we want to see that value added to the conversation. And that's what I think pod Access can help.
0: There's there's a lot of ways to be a disabled podcaster. Um, there you can do it invisibly and have it be part of your life, and you can be someone who has a disability, but maybe it's not something you bring into your show, and the show isn't about um, isn't about disability, and and maybe no no one has any idea that that the person who's behind the mic is actually someone who's a, a member of the community, and then all the way on that spectrum forward to of course being a disabled podcaster with a show quote about disability, but somewhere. Somewhere in between is is actually a realm that the ranks of which are are growing. And that's somewhere that that's probably where I would put myself on, on the spectrum is someone who self-identifies as part of the disco, part of the disability community even though the podcast isn't, quote, about disability. And and there's there's a tension there sometimes of how much of oneself to bring in to the virtual studio in conversations where maybe the listeners are not expecting a conversation to bring in a disability lens. Um, I'm curious if either of you have thoughts uh, or maybe even advice to folks who are listening about the value of self-identifying as part of the disability community in a way that means bringing that identity into the podcast or the content that you're creating. And I don't know which of you would want to take that,
1: take that question. Well, I think, I mean, that, that value to me is both for the individual and for the, for the community. Right. Um, I think it's, it's someone's choice, but, but like I was saying, for me, it it's, it's been, you know, it it I think for those who listen to the podcast, um, like Cheryl was kind of talking about, it's this value in just kind of watching me go through this. You know, it's not it's not that obvious. I don't think it's that obvious because the podcast isn't about me. But hearing me talk about a topic in the beginning or hearing me, you know, um, sort of comment on whatever the, the guest is talking about or the guest experience, um, hearing me in 2015 and then hearing me today, that, that's two totally different things. Two totally different things. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way, but I think the idea that say, hey, we have people that, uh, disabled people are, are, you know, run that full spectrum. I think there's value to that because we're not a monolith. And, and that is just comes out through what we say and how we say it. Um, so again, the space is for anyone absolutely anyone um, on on anywhere on that spectrum, if you will. And
0: I want to bring in another piece of what the three of us were talking about in that pod access initiative conversation some number of, of weeks ago, um, I think it was the part where you guys asked me, what are the resources and tools that I consider to be indispensable for making this show every week when we're in season? And, and that was the moment when we sort of went down the rabbit hole in a, a kind of a meta way and, and got beyond talking about headsets or you know got beyond talking about um, you know uh, the funding or, or the things that folks might think of when they think about tools and resources that are a little bit more tangible. Um, And and one of the things that I've really been sitting with from that conversation since, since we talked some number of weeks ago was we, we got into talking about how um, it, one's quote-unquote imperfections, one's actual real authentic self um, outside of the virtual radio studio, that that's actually a resource, that that's actually a tool, even if it, it doesn't get often talked about or thought about that way, um, and that one's life experience actually is a resource that is not to be checked at the door as we are often taught and conditioned to do so that we can show up as maybe the image of the quote unquote perfect Midwestern news anchor who has an accent from nowhere and has sanitized any evidence that they ever were a real person, right? Um, it, that, that actually bringing one's whole self, bringing one's lived experiences into the conversations that happen in a podcast, that that's actually a resource um, and that that's actually a, a tool and can, in fact, be, be, um, be harnessed in, in those ways of um, uh, what is underpinning some of that conversation and some of, some of what we got into the last time we were talking. So I want to bring that back in and then see where, where the two of you want to take this. Is, is a toxic mythology around perfect or perfection, perfectionism, what, what, that, what that looks like um, and, and what that can uh, be in terms of an obstacle to actually embracing one's own being. Um, one's own authenticity, one's own, um, uh, I don't want to get too cliched about this, but sort of the perfectness of one's own being, the way that we really are, um, and, and you know, that might come with things like life challenges that one's going through, right? You were describing this, Thomas, in, in sort of your audience being able to, to you know, watch you move through life in a way that hasn't been sanitized to the, to the podcast. That might come with, you know, a conversation that I'm in in this show around um, talking about, You know, Roe versus Wade being overturned, and then bringing in not just statistics, uh, not just the politics, but also my own experience of having had an abortion a long time ago, right? And how that's part of my lived experience. I'm curious how that shows up for for the two of you as you think about how imperfections, I put that with large scare quotes, right? But what really lived experience and one's authentic self might show up as as a tool or as a resource as podcasters are thinking about what it looks like to, to put themselves out there. And Cheryl, I don't know if you want to pick that up there.
2: Oh, wow. Well, I can try. Um, I was so delighted and excited when you said that because I get it, but I had never thought to phrase it that way or frame it that way, um, that my lived experience is one of the resources and tools I bring. And I just, I want to share this story. When I was, um, so I've been a transcriptionist for at least 25 years and I wasn't doing it you know in the disability world when i started it was a job i i would type up people's interviews and they would use that for their dissertation or book or whatever and um when i was starting to get interested in podcasting i was listening to this mainstream non-disabled podcast and um they had advertisers on there just like um not big companies not not the bra company and the food delivery company and i thought you know what let me let me let me advertise my transcription service. This is a podcast. I should be transcribing this podcast. And I wrote up, um, you know, I paid the fee, which was a lot, and uh, wrote up the pitch. And this person edited it to take out my description of myself as a disabled person. <laughs> and I I was just, my most of my disabilities are acquired. So that was that um, hard lesson to learn firsthand. I'd heard about it, but then for myself to experience it firsthand of this quote-unquote regular or normal or non-disabled person saying, ooh, you should hide that fact. That's not a selling point. And of course, I thought to myself, what a great selling point. What you want is someone who understands accessibility to be making your accessibility. And, um, I got into this argument with her and I said, this is super not okay that you took out this key part about myself and my business practice out of this. And I get why she did. She probably read it as, um, your work is going to be inferior. Your work might be late. This person might need a lot of help. Like all these, again, knee-jerk responses we have to thinking that, um, disability means can't or won't be good. Um... I can't remember the compromise that we came to but I did notice that she aired my piece but didn't contact me about transcribing her podcast and that was really when I took a break from listening to any non-disabled podcasts for a while I listen to them now because I have a wide range of interests and a lot of people do really exciting work um, whether it's about disability or not but that was my rude awakening into that and I doubled down and decided, no, I'm I'm going to continue to say that my lived experience of needing some kinds of access might help me understand my own access and other people's access needs and requests better than you who will not touch this topic and don't even want to say the D word. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, but that story popped into my head and I I do want to... Second, what Thomas said about it's a choice. Not everybody's comfortable disclosing publicly or privately. Not everybody wants to. And there's a lot of reasons why. And I don't think somebody should have to. But I do think if you have firsthand perspective that enhances and informs what you do, you should use it. You should take advantage of that life experience and wisdom that you have and um, speak about these topics thoughtfully, even if you are not in a position where you want to or can
0: identify publicly. Yeah I love that and I, I I don't love the story. I hate the story but I love the story right because it's it's incredibly relatable and also it's it's so important to tell those stories because they happen to so many of us and yet don't get talked about a lot and, and that that's connects again I think to what we're talking about here right which is the value of representation but but not just in the sense of uh, disability representation um, also in the sense of what it is that one sees and consumes and hears and um, and, and takes in about the person that they're listening to, which can be a sanitized version, um, or it it can actually be a a whole human. And um, we, again, all of these things being a choice, all of this being, you know, only right for some people to do under certain circumstances. And often it takes privilege to be able to disclose and to identify in certain spaces. And so with all of those caveats said and acknowledged and very much appreciated, um, at, at the same time, I think part of what I, part of what I hope to posit and even bring this conversation thread here from from where we started it a couple of weeks ago is I think there is sometimes a responsibility that we don't acknowledge um, when one steps into a space like podcasting or or content creation, where there is the chance of of having an audience of whether it is three people or whether it is 3 million people. Um, There's a message that you're sending that might be not intended about what you look what you are who you are what your life looks like that um, sometimes can can um, actually contribute to um, unintentionally that that toxic mythology of perfect and that's something I'm sitting with very personally myself and frankly something that I'm actually reckoning with and, and looking to do some um, some healing around given um, a, a number of conversations I've had in in recent years with um, folks that I've had the privilege of, of mentoring touring works, um, uh, whether intentionally or not being some type of role model too and and learning that there are people out there who think that I am, quote unquote, perfect, whatever that might mean to them in a way that can be destructive when it's inaccurate and also leads other people to think that they are somehow falling short of some ideal that they that they seek to meet that isn't real. So that's that's my little brief aside to bring in here because um, I I keep and take it back, Cheryl, if you've got more to react to there.
2: Well, I I just had completely forgotten the part of your question about perfect, which is a perfect lead-in to, I used to be quite the perfectionist, and I still am in some things. Like, I'm sorry, I want my captions to be perfect. I want my transcripts to be perfect. They're not, because I'm human, but I want perfection in some areas of my life. But I used to want it in all areas of my life. And guess what? If you don't reach it, and you're, you know, born Desperately anxious like me, and your baseline relaxed is not ever relaxed. Like you are, you are in your own toxic mess of self-destruction, um, and imploding, exploding, either both, and um, having a traumatic brain injury, like I did. Uh, I one of the results of that for many, if not most people, is whoops, you can't do stuff perfectly anymore. It's real bad. <laughs> some of it's bad or some of it's okay, but it took you 10 times longer to do it and you're exhausted and having a ten- temper tantrum. And I had to accept I can't do these things anymore. Listen, ask Thomas how many times I cannot even still read my calendar. How many times he has to translate for me? That is not, that is literally not the date that the person proposed. What? I can't read it. When you can't reach perfection and you say, I accept that I can't reach perfection, then you stop pushing that boulder up that mountain or that hill. And it is very liberating to stop trying to be perfect. And striving for perfection is just a baseline piece of any kind of supremacy or superiority culture or attitude. It does not serve anyone to go through your whole life demanding perfection of yourself or others in every aspect of life. Sadly, it's when disability comes into the top the picture that people will say, "Well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> like, well, no, actually nobody's perfect. We don't have to just look at um, the disability community and say, "Ah, oh, you know, they're they're great, nobody's perfect. I think learning to let go of it was, you know i I don't think it's a gift that I had a brain injury. I hate it, still hate it, but the, a silver lining that came out of it is some level <laughs> some pointing toward a state of relaxation, and that I'm not gonna be perfect, I can't, so I'm not even gonna try this was good enough, and here you go I finished i'm I can't do it anymore, and that letting go is then your creativity can flow, then you can enjoy more things and you have more capacity to do the stuff that you want to do or that you need to do without holding yourself back. And um, I'm glad that you repeated perfect because I had forgotten that that was part of the question. And now I will pause.
0: No, I, I love that, and and um, I feel like Cheryl, you're you're dropping the mic, but um, on, on this right by also bringing it back to, of course, the underpinnings of supremacy that, um, uh, that 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 we need to acknowledge as we talk about toxic perfectionism. Thomas, where were you about to take that?
1: Now I was just going to say that you know. Um, we're talking about like authenticity, it sounds like to me. And and I know I have some experience with that in terms of, you know, one of the things that I didn't like about um, including in my podcast was, was there was two things. Um, it was my laugh, number one, because I think my laugh is silly.
2: No, it's so beautiful.
1: <laughs> well, thank you, but, but I'm comfortable with it now. Like, I, I'm just like, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. Like, that's my laugh, that's me. Um, And then also the, even the, the way that I produce the podcast came about because I didn't necessarily want to include me asking people questions because they don't always come out concise. Right. And so that actually led to me having a narrated podcast. But since starting, it was like, I remember being in conversation with someone and, and I was telling him about how I take out my laugh. And he was like, why are you doing that? He's like, you, you need to keep your laugh in there because it just adds. Right. And I started doing that and I got feedback. I started including me asking questions. So including more of the conversation that I have with the guests. And, and it just sounds like my authentic self now. And, and I think that's what we want. We want more authentic voices and whatever that means, like bring that. That's what we want people to bring to the podcasting world.
0: Um, in the last minute or so that we have, I I, I just I want to close on the note of giving you each an opportunity, bringing it back around to the podcast access initiative, um, to to just reflect in in the last two minutes that we have on the on the role of community in, um, to podcasting, and it feels very much like what you're building, um, and and really of course in keeping with the the um, uh, amazing gift that is the Disability Visibility Project and all that Alice Wong has has built. You're building a community. You're building a village, and it really it takes a village in in a, a lot of cases to do this work. And yet, often podcasting can seem like something, or gets talked about something as though it's a thing you do on your own. That oh, it's just one person up against the world putting out their solo podcast is some kind of you know hermit in the woods, right? And and yet, it takes a village. It takes a community, um, and and that is is frankly how um, podcasts end up being successful when they do. Do is is when it isn't just one person on their own against the world. That is very much true for this show. And we've got the We Act Radio family and the Progressive, Progressive Voices family and all these different families that we're, we're part of. Um, so I'm going to turn it uh, back to both of you for sort of a closing lightning round here. Um, uh, first you, you, Thomas, and then Cheryl, you're going to get the last word um, uh, to just reflect on on the role of community um, to podcasting and in particular to the initiative that you're both leading. So Thomas, over to you first, and then Cheryl, you'll get to close us out.
1: Yeah, community is a, is a really big deal. And I think that goes into like the specifics of, of some of what we're doing is the is the skill sharing, that idea that, hey, okay, you may not be a good graphics person, but there's someone out here who may want to work with you and whatever that looks like is up to you all. Maybe that's a barter. Maybe that's a paid thing. Um, But there are we all have we all have various skills that we can lend to one another and again to get to get our voices out there uh, one of the things that I wish I did from the beginning of the podcast is to look at it like that is to, it's to it's just to start with a team as opposed to trying to develop a team as I as I go along um, and I'm been doing that a little bit most of it's been my family helping it every now and then but but really trying to build it out to to more people um, but I think yes the, the community can be you know it can be a small team but it can be a large team as well and I think pod access wants to be be that Cheryl bring us home
2: one of the things that I think that I feel very confident pod access as a community is going to offer is that place for deaf and disabled people to talk about themselves and their work and get uh, support and resources that they need on their own terms and in an accessible way. I don't like to talk to non-disabled people about my access needs and providing them. I feel like there's so much justifying I have to do, so much basic one-on-one education about what I'm talking about, proving that I'm not making this up. It's exhausting. And this will be a community where you know somebody says, I need to learn editing software with, to, to use editing software with a screen reader. Thomas is like, great, I already do that. Let me tell you how I do it. You know, I, how do you make transcripts? Great, I do that. Let me tell you how I do that. And I can tell you how to do it in an accessible and hopefully affordable way too. So... I mean, it's great to be in mixed company, but I think when it comes down to talking about disability topics and producing content by and for and about disability, the best place to go is disability community. And we hope to bring that community together for learning and support and skill sharing. Cheryl,
0: this is a perfect place to land this conversation. And I I just, I'm so grateful to both of you and to Alice and to everybody who's involved with this work for for building this village and for creating these resources and for, for, um, for making that call to say, hey, folks, you can do this. And guess what? none of us are doing this by ourselves so let's pool this let's make this into a project that helps people see that 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 we can all uh, be podcasters if that is what we want to do and that everybody's voices deserve to be out there um, and and these barriers are ones that that folks have been creatively grappling with uh, already so no one needs to reinvent the wheel here um, i'm really 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 excited to um, have had this conversation with both of you for off-kilter and really excited to be sending folks to the resources in show notes to get involved with both of you and with the pod access initiative and and to, to check it out if it um, if the disability visibility project is, is new as well. So Cheryl Green and Thomas Reed are both with the Pod Access Initiative, both have their own podcasts. You can find how to find them on Twitter and how to find them and, and their shows all in our show notes. Um, and, and just want to say a huge thanks to both of you for taking the time and for all of your phenomenal work. And Cheryl, for being such a core part of the Off-Kilter fam. Thank
2: you, Rebecca. Thank you, Rebecca.
0: And that does it for this week's show. Off-Kilter is powered by the Century Foundation and produced by We Act Radio. With a special shout out to executive producer Troy Miller and his merry band of farm animals and the indefatigable Abby Grimshaw. Transcripts, which help us make the show accessible, are courtesy of Cheryl Green and her fabulous feline co-worker. Find us every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. And if you like what we do here at Off-Kilter Enterprises, send us some love by hitting that subscribe button and rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts to help other folks find the pod. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.